Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Patrick Jenkins. This week, we'll be looking at the Credit Suisse announcement that they're going to be issuing a whole load of contingent convertible notes. My understanding is that Credit Suisse is roadshowing this deal to investors on Tuesday or Wednesday in Europe and Asia. And I imagine they're just going to be in back-to-back meetings just discussing the concept. This will lead us on to our second topic for today, Barclays, which announces its annual results on Tuesday. Barclays' approach is going to be even more novel, this idea that they will actually pay bonuses in COCOs. I mean, they're the first bank to come out and do this. And we'll end the show with a look at Project Merling, the peacekeeping deal between the UK government and the UK banks. The most important agreement for the government was this lending target of $190 billion to small businesses. But even that is not a firm commitment. It's more of a, just an indication from the banks that they're sort of open for business. Joining me in the studio to discuss these topics are Charlene Goff and Jennifer Hughes. But we start the show with stateside. This week, the US banking update comes from Dan McCrum in New York. Over to you, Dan. Thank you, Patrick. The big stories in the last week, and we've had some exchange consolidation with a proposed merger of Deutsche Börse and NYSE Euronext. We've had a big shift in government policy towards its government-sponsored agencies, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And there have been more developments on the ongoing insider trading investigation run by the Department of Justice and the Securities and Exchange Commission. In consolidation, the big deal last week was Deutsche Börse agreeing to take over the New York Stock Exchange. This was prompted by the London Stock Exchange itself deciding to merge with Canada's TXU. Bankers seem relatively unbothered by this so far. It seems the prospect to further cut technology costs, uh, to further lower the cost of trading, seems to be greeted reasonably positively. That sanguine views also perhaps reflect the diminished role of the exchanges now, as banks and investors continue to develop and expand their own pools of off-exchange liquidity trading to take that business away from the exchanges. Over in Washington, we had a big shift in government policy. The government is finally starting to grab the nettle of what to do about the government-sponsored enterprises, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Last year, these guaranteed nine out of every 10 American mortgages that were lent. The big shift is that they are now signaling that home ownership for 70 years, the stalwart of American policy toward the mortgage market, may be changing and that perhaps people will have to accept rental housing in the future. The plan is to start winding down Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to remove their role at the heart of the financial system. And finally, we have the ongoing Securities and Exchange Commission investigation into insider trading. This took a further step this week when we finally had investors arrested. So far, the investigation had focused mainly on analysts and company insiders who had been doing the tipping and not the investors themselves. Two relatively low-level investors from relatively small hedge funds. And the main uh, talking point of the week was the general idiocy with which they went about attempting to destroy the evidence, thus handing the government an easy way to arrest them for perversion of the course of justice rather than the more difficult case of proving insider trading. 
the investigation continues and we are still waiting to see what further hedge funds may or may not be ensnared in the investigation. But it seems that the very, even a tangential association with the ongoing investigation is enough to send skitterish investors flighting, with one hedge fund who has very firmly not been accused of any wrongdoing forced to close last week due to investor withdrawals. That's all from me this week. Back over to you in the studio, Patrick. Thanks, Dan. To our first topic today, Credit Suisse. Now, Jen, Credit Suisse has long said that they're interested in these contingent convertibles, the so-called COCOs. It's a rather undeveloped market so far. The stuff out there from Lloyd's and from Rabobank, by some definitions, they are COCOs. But this is quite an interesting move by Credit Suisse to go hell for leather for something quite chunky. It is, and the timing's taken the market by surprise because they had their earnings last week and didn't say anything about this. Were they just not ready to go? My understanding is I don't think they were quite ready to go. They had a lot of stuff just to finalise over the weekend. I'm imagining quite a few people spent the weekend in Credit Suisse's offices around the world on this one. So how big is it? How much are they issuing and how much is kind of swapping and how much is new issue and so on? Well, there's two parts, really. There's the £6 billion Swiss francs swap. Now that's or exchange rather that's for existing notes and is now locked in but doesn't take place till 2013. Existing hybrid stuff that they have out there on on a par with what Lloyd's did a, a year and a bit ago. Lloyd's was a distressed exchange at reduced prices. People were pretty much arm twisted into that one. This one's very much voluntary but it is a, now a locked in agreement. So they've got six billion sitting there, and then they're also going to do a what we call a Reg S sale this week, which is a sale outside the U.S. So it won't come under U.S. regulations. Explain to me how the issue by Credit Suisse differs from what Rabobank did, for example. Rabos are mutual; they don't obviously issue equities, so investors there get written down. The value of their investment gets written down by a certain amount, which takes the the bank's capital back over the the trigger point. The Credit Suisse is a conversion to equity. It is important because this is the first listed bank to do it. Lloyd's was, as we said, a bit of a pressured exchange. This is entirely free in the first free sale. So that's what's really interesting. Now, we know with Rabobank, they had huge demand, massive interest. Bankers who were on that deal have said they'd never seen anything like it in terms of the investors who want to meet and talk about this. This is really investors trying to get up to speed with an asset class. So I imagine my understanding is that Credit Suisse is roadshowing this deal to investors on Tuesday and Wednesday in Europe and Asia. And I imagine they're just going to be in back-to-back meetings just discussing the concept. So even if these investors don't come in this time, they're trying to get prepared for when they can. What about the idea of the hybrids being converted, as you say, 2013? Do you think that, therefore, that means that the cocoa market in future is basically going to replace the hybrid market because hybrids have been, to all intents and purposes, outlawed by the new Basel III capital rules? We could see that. We could see both markets going at the same time because the existing hybrids will get called as and when it's possible when banks are allowed to repay them under their terms and conditions. At the same time, we'll see a cocoa market. I would imagine that Credit Suisse won't be the only bank to try and do an exchange like this. It's a very good way of getting around what one bank has nicknamed to me the first mover disadvantage because if you go with one slim cocoa issue, you're an investor who's very likely to get bailed in or converted if something happens. Whereas there's a lot of you out there in a fat capital cushion, it looks better. So by doing the exchange and then selling bonds on top, they've got around this problem. And from an investor point of view, these are still pretty attractive instruments, I suppose. As long as you're prepared to take a little bit of risk that they're going to be converted, they're pretty nice yields on these instruments. Well, we're talking 9 9.5% on the new notes they're putting out. We don't know the exact terms of the deal that launched publicly this week. 
So that one's to be seen. But the Rabobank issue was really interesting. 70% of that went to what they call retail, what we'd call extremely wealthy individuals. These guys are looking for coupons, and this is a good way of getting them. This brings us on quite neatly to Barclays. Now, I suspect it's no coincidence that Credit Suisse has announced this the day before Barclays' results when we also expect them to say something about their own plans for Cocos because, as we reported a couple of weeks ago, Barclays is looking at issuing these kinds of notes as part of their remuneration tools. They wanted to pay some of their bankers um, in Cocos. Um, Charlene, do, do, you, uh, do you think it's a coincidence or is this you know, try, a CS trying to steal their show. Yeah, it's probably not a coincidence, although, like Jen said, you know, maybe Credit Suisse would have got this out last week with their results if they could have done. They just hadn't quite finalised the details. But I remember I spoke to some Credit Suisse executives in Davos and they were definitely feeling sore that um, they thought their thunder was going to be stolen by Barclays. And Barclays' approach is going to be even more novel, this idea that they will actually pay bonuses in Cocos. I mean, they're the first bank to come out and do this. And we don't know exactly how much or how big a proportion will be paid like that, but they're very keen to more closely align bonuses to the sort of capital strength of the bank. Um, And this is a way of of diverting political attention and saying, look, we're trying not to encourage the kinds of risky, reckless behaviour that equity bonuses sometimes can. What about the broader issue of whether those cocos are likely to be issuable by Barclays? I think it's an easy way, if you like, to get them out into the market by issuing them as bonuses. But I don't think Barclays believes that they can issue new stuff yet, partly because of regulatory go ahead not being there I think. Yeah so it's a a good idea just to give them away and not give your bank as much choice in the matter. Um, How popular this will be sort of remains to be seen I'm sure bankers won't love the idea you know given that their bonuses are also going to be lower at Barclays and sort of structured in in a different way it'll be quite interesting to get some reaction when Barclays unveil all this on Tuesday. What about the broader Barclays news of the day, which will be the, their numbers? Do you have a sense for whether you think they're going to surprise on the upside or, or whether it's going to be broadly in line with the kind of numbers that we've seen um, so far well, from others? A couple of analysts actually shaved their numbers down a little bit this morning, thinking consensus might be a tad too high. I mean, con- consensus forecast puts uh, the, the profit number at about 5.8 billion, which is way down on last year, but that was very flattered by a big one-off gain when they sold Barclays Global Investors or Asset Management. Yeah. Um, so on the on the sort of underlying side, it's slightly ahead. I think all eyes really uh, on Tuesday will be on Bob Diamond. This is his first presentation as chief executive. Under the original plans, it was going to be John Varley's kind of swan song, but of course he uh, handed over to Bob Diamond earlier than expected. So he will be on the podium tomorrow and hopefully we'll get a lot more details of his strategy for the bank, where he's going to cut, what kind of businesses could be unwound or sold off. We think he could be quite ruthless there with underperforming businesses. So uh, it will be uh, an interesting presentation. Yeah, we'll be watching that very closely. Now, you mentioned John Varley, who we don't necessarily expect to be there involved in the, the calls to analysts or, or journalists tomorrow. But he played a pretty big role, or the central role, for the banks in last week's announcement of the so-called Project Merlin. This is the peace deal between the banks and the government. Do you think ultimately it was a meaningful deal, Charlene? 
think one of the biggest surprises of the day is that for four months um, we'd all been speculating over the name Project Merlin and that sort of conjuring a deal from nothing and it actually emerged that this was named after a bird that John Varley spotted when he was out bird watching one day so so that was a, um, quite amusing but on a more serious note there wasn't really much of any substance in there I think probably the most important agreement for the government that they were most sort of proud of was this lending target of 190 billion to small businesses but even that is not a firm commitment it's more of a just a indication from the banks that they're sort of open for business and if demand is there then they've got the money to lend. So 190 billion in total for business lending which is up I think but from memory six percent or something? Exactly that it's up from about 179 this year. The interesting thing on that was that pretty much that entire increase for this year is going to go to small businesses so the banks have agreed to provide an extra 10 billion pounds. That's up from 66 to 76 billion off the total. So a fairly chunky increase to small businesses and that could be very tough for the banks actually given that a lot of small businesses are still deleveraging paying back loans trying just to sort of strip down and and get the businesses through the recession so whether we see demand start to pick up from them this year will be quite a crucial uh, element in whether the banks can hit that target at the moment even the banks themselves even John Varley who sort of uh, engineered this deal are all saying look we probably won't hit this number. It's probably too high, but we're going to do our best to try and get money out there, which is really what the government wanted to hear. And if the lending target was fairly vague and maybe not so meaningful, the rest of the agreement was even more vague, particularly around bonuses. I think the Lib Dem kind of negotiators in this were probably pretty upset with the lack of uh, anything firmer. Exactly, and that was really clearly displayed not by the agreement itself but by what happened before and after, really. As soon as it was out there, we had Lord Oakeshott, the Lib Dem Treasury spokesman, resigned, he said, but, you know, we heard really that he was sort of pushed out because his comments were incredibly uh, critical of of the lack of substance in the deal. And the Project Merlin was actually precluded uh, the day before with an an £800 million tax on the bank. So another sort of admission from the government that uh, the, the actual agreement itself didn't do much to change anything and the banks had got off fairly fairly lightly. But it will be interesting as we move into bank results season to see exactly how this has affected bonus payments. I'm sure the banks will be pushed to explain exactly how much um, they cut bonuses by, uh, not just because profits have fallen at their investment banking divisions, but also because of the pressure from government. Uh, so we should get some uh, more details on that over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and the, the first test of that obviously will be tomorrow, as we said, with uh, with the Barclays numbers. That's all we have time for, sadly, today. All that's left for me to do is to thank Charlene and Jen here in London and Dan in New York, and to thank you for listening. Banking Weekly was produced by LJ Filatrani. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.